Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that takes an in-depth and chronological look at the films of Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back 21 years and taking a look at 1997's The Peacekeeper. In this film, Lundgren plays Major Frank Cross, a hotshot Air Force pilot who's tasked with guarding the president's black bag, a briefcase containing the launch codes for potential nuclear strikes. But when a group of terrorists steal the black bag, Cross finds himself in a desperate race against time to stop nuclear destruction on American soil. There's been no World War III for one reason. Us. Fat. Sad. We do have the technology to save lives. Ignition. Launch! This is the nightmare that was never supposed to happen. We have a missile event. But now Armageddon is here, and it has a name. The Peacekeeper. The target is Washington, D.C. One man can make a difference. I got him. In a race against time. Whatever you're going to do, you got 12 seconds to do it in. Technology. I dropped the black bag. Changed the code. We're in. It's broken. And terror. When even the president is powerless. You have 30 minutes to say goodbye to America. You want this guy on your side. Five, four, three, two, one. Dolph Lundgren is the peacekeeper. They didn't mention that one in the manual. Also starring Michael Sarazen, Montel Williams in his feature film debut, and Roy Scheider. The Peacekeeper, from New Image Home Video, distributed exclusively by Trimark Home Video, rated R. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again to chat this film is my good buddy and show regular, Chris Prentice. Chris, thank you so much for your willingness to come back and discuss this one today. Ah, oh, no problem, no problem at all. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. This is, uh, you know, and, and we discussed this as well, you know, in the early episodes of the show. But, you know, we're, we're getting to that period of Lundgren's filmography that I think is, I, I wouldn't really say hidden, but it's it's that period that I think is kind of undiscovered among the uh, among the regular casual action fan. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're definitely kind of in the the first few years where he was sort of strictly into doing, you know, direct to video or direct to cable movies. And, you know, so, I mean, basically I think if, if, if you're someone who remembers Peacekeeper, you know, without having to look at a, at a trailer or be told much about it, I mean, you, you, you're probably a pretty big, big fan of Lundgren because these are kind of the, the movies that have been forgotten as, uh, as time has, has marched on. 
as I as I went back and watched this one and did you know did the a little bit of research on it, what what few um, you know items I could find online about it, I, I kind of had an epiphany of sorts. You know, the previous era in Lundgren's films, we we kind of unofficially coined as the quote unquote experimental era. Right. So Lundgren went from his golden era, which was, I, I still would say, Rocky Four to about Universal Soldier. And then, like I said, he had the experimental era. So that was Men of War, Johnny Mnemonic, Hidden Assassin, Silent Trigger. These films that were, as, as, as I called them, experimental in a lot of ways, because Lundgren was trying new things. He was trying new genres. And um, they were all each one of those films had its own little quirkiness, if you will. I would say I don't know if you would agree with this or not. But I would say that Peacekeeper marks the next era in Lundgren's career, which I would call the paycheck era. How about you? <laughs> what would you say? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would call it almost maybe more the conventional era where the movies okay. were just kind of, you know, there are some that I like and there are some that, that I don't. But I just think they're kind of conventional. They're kind of like, look, these are movies for a specific audience. They're going to go straight to video. People want to see stuff blow up. They want to see some car chases. We're not going to go out of out, we're not going to go too far out of the box with these. We're not going to take the kind of chances that you, you would have seen in Men of War or in Silent Trigger. It's basically, look, we've got, you know, seven or eight weeks to film it. Let's just do it. Let's get a recognizable co-star or two to, to put on the video box and let's just crank it out. And I think that's kind of what, what Peacekeeper was sort of the start of. And when I think of a amazing co-star who just, you know, his face is just, you know, is necessary for an action picture, I think of Montel Williams. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, it's like where to begin with that. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, hey. We're going to begin with that. Yeah, I mean, he had a following. I mean, he was, you know, that, that was like, I mean, people kind of forget about it now, but... That whole daytime talk show thing was huge in that early 90s period. I mean, there were so many of them. And every, I mean, people were, would be talking about them all the time. And it was, you know, Maury Povich and Donahue. And that was kind of the start of Springer. And Montel was right there. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of like you look at it now and you're like, what the hell is this guy doing in this movie? Um, but you know, he, he was a, a he was a recognizable face and a recognizable name back in 1997. When I, when, when I said the paycheck era, I, I know that sounds a little, um, a little harsh and I don't mean it to sound as an insult, but I think there was, uh, you know, Lundgren had quite a, quite a lot going on at, in his personal life in, during this period. And he's gone on the record in various interviews stating, stating his thought process and choosing a lot of these roles. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that Lundgren had going on around this time is he had gotten married. And he was starting a family, you know, where in the earlier, or excuse me, the earlier stages of his career, he was taking, you know, chances with various films and roles. But I would say in this period, he was much more focused on his family rather than on his films. He was working maybe, you know, about one film a year, but his attention and his time was with his family, which I think is extremely commendable. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, I think I think one of the main differences between Peacekeeper and some of the, the movies he had done just prior is that, you know, stuff like Men of War and you can go back to Army of One and, and possibly, you know, even Hidden Assassin. Those were movies that, you know, when they were being made, you know, they were 
kind of being done with the idea of, okay, this is going to be in theaters. This is a theatrical movie. You know, we're, we're really going to go for a, for something that's going to be on the big screen. And, and you can tell by, by the action and by how things look. Whereas I think with, with Peacekeeper, it's like, you know, going in, okay, you know, this is going to premiere on a Friday night on HBO. And then we're going to, we're going to, you know, shove it onto shelves in Blockbuster six months later. And that, that's what we're going to do. And, and once, once I think that's decided, the, the scope of these movies, they, they kind of, they, they lose a little bit. And, uh, and I think you can sort certainly tell, that that little that little extra bit of of magic that you would see in something like Army of One or Men of War, it's just not quite there with the Peacekeeper. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah, um, th- that was one of the other things I was going to say is you know yeah when you watch when you watch Army of One, Army of One is something that you say okay yeah I could have seen that going to theaters and unfortunately it did not go to theaters but yeah you know it, it has that yes. kind of theatrical feel and edge to it. I would say the same thing even with uh, well certainly Men of War but even Hidden Assassin I think Hidden Assassin even oh, even yeah. though the transfer that is a, that that you can find for it today is is a little uh, a little fuzzy Hidden Assassin and certainly Silent trigger yeah like you said they all feel bigger and more theatrical i think at this point in his career like we said lundgren was focused on a you know on on his family at this time like you said he had gotten married and he was having his his daughters around this time and i think also at this point lundgren was pretty much fully accepting of the fact that he was a direct-to-video guy again i'm not saying that this is a bad thing because he was getting steady roles and i would say he was leading this market well ahead of Michael Dudikoff, Jeff Speakman, Brian Bosworth, Mark Dacascos, all those guys who were, you know, also kind of in that direct-to-video realm. Um, I would still say that Dolph was was in the lead of that. But I think around this time, Lundgren was uh, pretty much content and accepting of the fact that, okay, his films were direct-to-video, and he was he was going to run with that. I do know that in I've, I've read a couple actually I read a couple interviews with Lundgren in preparation for this, and he is honest. He said around this period, around ninety six to about two thousand three two thousand four, this period of filmmaking was extremely hazy for him. He really doesn't remember much because, like I said, he was so focused on his family, and it, it, like he said in this interview. You know, it was. It's very hard for movie stars to find a balance between the two if they're focused on the career, trying to find the next big role, the next big film to attach themselves with. Then, unfortunately, their family is taken a back seat. And Lundgren didn't want to do that. He wanted his family to be in the front seat. And so, each one of these films is like when I like when I said a paycheck. It was it was a job that he was doing to kind of help support that. No, I I definitely see where you're coming from, and that makes a lot of sense. And you know, and the the point that you had made about him being, uh, you know, kind of at the the forefront of the the direct to video action star. I mean, at this point, he he really was because he was kind of the one guy who was, you know, now doing direct to video movies that that had had a pretty good you know track record of of theatrical movies you know before it. I mean, I know you know Dudikoff, yeah. I mean, American Ninja was in theaters, but it, it wasn't really like a huge hit. Whereas you know Lundgren had Rocky Four, he had Universal Soldier, and you know he he'd had some some movies that did pretty well on the big screen. And so he was kind of you know before you know eventually Van Damme and Seagal ended up going to uh, to direct to video. I mean Lundgren was kind of the top guy doing those, and I think it's kind of interesting that this is the first movie that he did with new image 
which was right. you know, they they were kind of kind of the offshoot of Canon in in the 90s, you know, some of the guys that worked on Canon films, they basically formed New Image and you know, early on in the the, the mid 90s, they were doing a lot of schlocky movies with, you know, David Bradley and, you know, Frank uh Zagarino and, you know, just some pretty low rent stuff. Not all of it bad. I mean, there, there's one that David Bradley did called uh, Hard Justice from that period. That's actually really good. But, but I mean, they were really kind of low rent. And this was actually, I think, a pretty big movie for them, um, by their standards where, where, you know, they had finally, you know, gotten Lundgren to do one of their movies. And I think for them anyway, it, it was probably a pretty big picture. Um, but it was definitely kind of the start of, of Lundgren kind of sliding to, to working with those kind of outfits instead of, you know, the production companies that maybe had bigger aspirations. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up New Image. Yeah, because like, like you said, this was his first film with the, uh, with the production company New Image. And, you know, and this partnership would last for years where yeah. Dolph and New Image, they, they aligned themselves or they joined forces for quite a few pro, uh, projects for the next, uh, for the next few years. Um, New Image, for anyone who is unfamiliar, New Image is, is headed by, was headed by, but yeah, it's still being run by Avi Lerner, who is a refugee, as I like to say, from the infamous, uh, Canon Studios. But yeah, it's amazing to me that New Image, I mean, they've taken a lot of the, 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 the marketing strategy and a lot of the films that you would see coming out of Canon. And I would say that Canon is still alive in the form of New Image. But they are still thriving, and they're being a little a little wiser with with their projects than uh, Canon was. But it's great to see them still working. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, obviously now New Image is is basically known as Millennium Films, and uh, yeah, there's, I mean, it's now going on well over twenty years, and I mean, I think I don't know the exact number, but if you if you count the Expendables films, I'm pretty sure Dolph's done at least a dozen movies with them in total. So. It's it's yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty long standing relationship that he's had with them. And so, like I said, I mean, I think when they were able to get Dolph to, to star in Peacekeeper, I think that was a pretty big get for them compared to some of the guys oh, that yeah. they had had uh, headlining movies previously. And uh, was was probably a really big step for them to kind of to get to get bigger names because, you know, it was only a few years later where they were getting Van Damme and they were getting Seagal and, and you know, Wesley Snipes and, and all those guys. So, you know, again, it was, I think, a pretty, pretty uh, big project for them at the time. But it, it's it's one of those movies that, you know, like I mentioned, if you watch Men of War, you could say, hey, man, this is something that should have been on the big screen. And in a lot of countries, it did play on the big screen. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that The Peacekeeper probably played in big screens in, in some countries. But it's a movie that you, you watch it and you're like, yeah, this is a direct-to-video movie. There's really no oh, yeah. ifs, ands, or buts about it. No. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the film the film isn't terrible. I mean, I'll just say no. that right now. It's not terrible. The big problem with it is it's just not memorable. I mean, you know, I hear here, I don't know, how long ago was it you watched this? I mean, in preparation for this, I'm assuming that you watched it on, on, a, on a repeated viewing. Is that right? Uh, well, I, I, I saw it all the way through about a year ago because it actually okay. got a, a Blu-ray release um, a, a year ago. Um, I, a, a company put it out on a, a dual disc uh, with Men of War. Um, uh, yeah, or yeah, it was about, about a year ago. And so I, I did watch it all the way through then. And, you know, my, my reaction to it is, is pretty much the same as when I first saw it back in the nineties. It's there, there are things I like about it. 
Um, there are some some really cool scenes, but it just it just doesn't quite add up to a complete movie. And there there are just some things that are just a little bit off, and it just it just doesn't quite measure up to to what I want out of his films. Well, and see, I okay. So this was my I watched it a couple nights ago in preparation for this. Um, it was actually my third time seeing it, and I'll admit. I don't remember it very much. I mean, you know, here I was, I watched it just a couple nights ago and it's, it's pretty much, um, been forgotten by me, but you know, um, I, I, I always like to go back. I'm curious, Chris, your first time, uh, hearing about, or, or, or excuse me, hearing about and seeing Peacekeeper, if you can go back that far, when was it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to slightly kind of repeat myself with my, uh, my initial <laughs> si- silent trigger viewing because this, this again was one of his movies that in in the U.S. premiered on HBO. Um, it would have been, it, it had to have been around the holidays in 1997 because the the memory that I really have is that I, I had you know my buddy who had HBO recorded it for me, and it was right around one of the semesters that I was in college, and that it was it was right around when finals was going on because I was basically studying for a bunch of different finals and I kind of told myself all right I've got you know this this brand new movie on this 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 VHS tape I can't wait to watch it can't wait to check it out but I'm going to wait until all my finals are done I'm going to just study and I'm going to you know crank them out and just do the best I can and just not think about this movie and just put the put the tape away and then that'll be kind of my reward when I'm when I'm all done, when I've taken my last final for the semester, is I'm gonna go finally watch this movie. So in a way, maybe I I kind of did the film a disservice because I kind of built it up as oh this is gonna be this great prize and oh I'm gonna finally be able to watch this after all this hard work. And then I finally sat down and watched it, and I was like just sort of eh, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it was, it just didn't, it just didn't measure up. And so maybe that was in a way my fault for kind of putting this, this aura around it of making it this great trophy, uh, the, this is this big treat for me, uh, after the end of the semester. And it, and it, so maybe, you know, kind of hard to, to live up to that, but the movie just, just didn't quite do it. So that, that was my initial experience. Just, it was another one of these that premiered uh, on HBO back when uh, HBO actually would show these kind of movies. Well, and see, so my early exposure to the film, I remember two things about it distinctly. I actually first remember hearing about this film actually in, uh, in a people magazine of all things. <laughs> there, there, there was wow. this, uh, I know it's, it's weird, right? But, and I don't even yeah. know where I was, how I picked up a people magazine, but I was in high school around this time. And there was one of those tabloid pages that shows all of these celebrities who recently became engaged or, or married. And Dolph and his wife at the time were featured in the article. And so it was like a little sidebar of them dancing and smiling at their wedding. And in the sidebar for this image, it said something along the lines of Dolph can next be seen in the film Hellbent do later on this year because i believe hellbent was the initial title that yeah. uh, the peacekeeper was was going for and so you know with with the title like hellbent i remember thinking okay cool because you know around this time you know even though the internet we had the internet and it was um people were still looking to it for information it was still kind of in those early days where you know if a yeah. movie was in production you really didn't know until you saw the trailer for it you know 
But I guess it, it did premiere on HBO here in the States. I was not able to see it, unfortunately. I didn't have HBO, so I had to wait for VHS. And here's what I remember. I remember seeing it on the video store shelves, and it had a really dis- really distinct cover. Um, Dolph's face is square in the front, centered. He's aiming his military-issued gun, and there's just some uh, missiles in the background. And for some reason, I don't know why I remember this, but I want to say that the VHS cover for this, I, I believe the cover was embossed, where Dolph's image was protruding from the cover. Yeah, I, I, I faintly remember that. See, what's kind of weird is, is I remember, so it, it premiered on HBO, you know, it had to have been towards the end of 97. And then, you know, Blackjack was basically his next movie. And, and that came out on video before The Peacekeeper. And so I just kind of remember that, you know, there was Blackjack hit, even though Peacekeeper had premiered, Blackjack hit video first. And that was kind of a big release because, you know, it was a John Woo movie. And then later on, it was The Peacekeeper, which was, you know, not as big a video release. And yeah, I, I do believe you're right about the uh, the the that was, I guess, a big thing, kind of late 90s. You had a lot of these kind of the smaller video distributors trying to set their movies apart with, you know, oh, oh yeah. we'll have the nice shiny box with, you know, uh, all the different images that kind of protrude and embossed. And it was almost kind of like the the early 90s with the comic book covers. I mean, I feel like the, yeah. the video covers kind of kind of took that mantle in the late 90s. And and yeah, P- I, so I'm pretty sure you're right about that with regards to Peacekeeper. Well, there's actually a great documentary that is out there called, Re- uh, excuse me, Rewind This, about the about the VHS boom around the uh, the late 80s, early 90s. And yeah, they, they had various, um, you know, directors and distributors for some of these, those smaller direct-to-video companies. And yeah, they, you know, they said, that, you know, when their movies, when their films were on the video store shelves, if they put a lot of precision and care into the cover, then they found that their covers or their product would stand out so much more than, say, a Terminator 2 that had quadruple the budget of their film. And so, oh, yeah. so it's a great, oh, yeah. it's a great, great marketing uh, strategy when you think about it. But, um, yeah, the, the VHS was put out by the now defunct company Trimark Home Video. I believe that Lionsgate acquired all of all of the titles put yes. out by Trimark. Yeah, and that's and that's basically why, at least in terms of US, that's true because that's why you never really see any of their titles on Blu-ray in the US. Um, because I'm, I mean, Lionsgate just has that whole catalog, and pretty much none of those have have been put out on on Blu-ray. Um, that have come from Trimark. Uh, I mean, there might be, there's probably going to be some exceptions to that, but basically, if, if you're seeing a Trimark, old Trimark movie that's on Blu ray, it's some kind of a foreign release. Yeah, and I don't think Lionsgate has any plans in the foreseeable future to put out a Blu ray here in the U.S. of, yeah, of many prob- Trimark films. Probably Definitely not, not the Peacekeeper. <laughs> no, no, probably not. I mean, yeah, they're actually, I mean, Lionsgate is, they bought up like a whole bunch of like of the smaller studios, smaller production companies, and they're kind of sitting on a whole bunch of kind of these older lower rent movies and i i mean i don't know exactly what they they plan to ever do with them but but yeah and and peacekeeper would would fall into that for sure. Well, and the funny thing, and this is a slight tangent, but you know the funny thing about Trimark Home Video was any 
Trimark rental that you would rent. It was it was crazy because any if okay, I put money on it right now <laughs> that if you find a VHS of any Trimark home video, you're probably going to see a trailer for the Stone Age. I don't know what it was oh, yes. about that comedy, but that yeah. and the, and that trailer, yes. they would run a trailer for that film like three four years after that film had been released. But I, I don't know if they had a lot of. Uh, I think it was kind of their ripoff of Dazed and Confused. But yeah, that that movie was on every one of their releases. Well, yeah, I think that was that was one that would always play, and then the the other one, because every now and again one of their movies would get into theaters. And I think they the the Jamie Foxx movie held up the uh, the every, we all remember held up of course oh and, yeah uh, that was another one I felt like that a trailer for that one Jamie Foxx doesn't want to remember it but we remember it no no <laughs> I mean that was like that was like right after any given Sunday when he kind of had a little bit of heat and I remember that one came out on video and and I I feel like that was another one where their trailers were just forever uh would be on be on their films but yeah definitely the stone age would probably be the the number one trailer that f- would would always accompany one of their movies and you mentioned held up obviously um but leprechaun not not many people seem to realize oh, or yeah. recognize but Leprechaun, um, at least the first one. I don't know if uh, I'm pretty sure none of the sequels did, but I know the first one got a pretty a pretty wide and generous release around the time. So <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean that's just like uh, Jamie Fox probably not remembering Held Up, uh, Jennifer Aniston not really remembering Leprechaun. <laughs> so, um, but you know, The Peacekeeper. This film was the film debut of a French director. Frederick Forestier, he went on to direct um, quite a few more films, mostly all French films. I don't think he really did many American films after this one. Um, I guess one of his uh, one of the big films that he did is he did an adaptation of the Asterix uh, comic book series that um, was a pretty modest and uh, you know decent sized hit in France. But as far as his American films, American productions that he directed, this was pretty much all he wrote. Yeah, um, and, and I gotta say, I mean, it. it not really a lot of style in this one. I mean, it's no. just not a movie that where I go, okay, I think this, this guy, even though, you know, he's working on a budget and it's, you know, you're not really going to show too much uh, individuality with this kind of movie. You know, sometimes you'll see a director can kind of shine through. I mean, you know, you look at someone like John Hyams, you know, I mean, you can take these kind of movies and, and do something more with them. Whereas, you know, I just think Peacekeeper is kind of, you know, right down the middle is is just it is what it is. And I mean, now there are there are some really well done sequences. I mean, the not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but there is a chase sequence in the movie that I think is, is really cool uh, considering the budget that they were working with. Um, so, the, so, I mean, there are some moments that that give you a little bit of a glimpse that maybe the whoever's behind the camera can do a little more. but. By and large, I mean, it, this is pretty much just a point-and-shoot kind of film. Well, you know, I think my first real big gripe with this film is the transfer. I mean, you know, here it was. This is a film that was released in 1997, and it looks like something from the 80s. I, I mean, you yeah. know, and, and si- Silent Trigger, which was filmed before this one, looks so much better. Uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo, yes. uh, I Come in Peace, all those films that he did, you know, earlier, though there is even uh, films that he did in his golden era, those look so much better than this one. I watched this on Amazon Prime. It is available on Amazon Prime, so anyone out there 
uh, listening <laughs> and you don't want to yeah. splurge on a DVD, this, as well as so many other of the films that Lundgren did around this, uh, this mid to late 90s period, is on Amazon Prime. But I also quickly zipped through my DVD copy and it looks exactly the same. But yeah, the, the, the transfer on this, I don't know where it was they filmed it or what kind of cameras or you know film stock they were using. But like I said, this looks like, I don't know if you would agree, but this looks like something from like 1986. Yeah, to me, I mean, it kind of has that, that early 90s syndicated hour long look to it, you know, like, yeah. uh, like, a, you know, the, you look at the, the sort of the syndicated shows from that time, like Kung Fu, the legend continues or time tracks. I mean, just, and I like time tracks. That was a cool show, but, uh, you know, <laughs> just that, that it just has that kind of vibe to it. Um, that it's, it's, it's almost like something that would have been, uh, maybe a pilot for a, a syndicated TV series at some point. Well, and the film opens, you know, I, I do I do kind of like it as cheesy as it is, not to sound cliche by saying cheesy, but, you know, the opening scenes are, you know, they're, they're a little silly, um, but, I, but I do kind of like them. Um, our hero, uh, the main character, Dolph Lundgren, plays Frank Cross, and we are introduced to him in the beginning. Cross is an Air Force major who, he's a bit of a hotshot. We've seen this type of character before. He's a hotshot rebel who doesn't really listen to his superiors and to the authority, and we see him in the beginning. He is dropping rice and food to refugees in Turkey, but doing so in a completely unauthorized manner. I mean, he is going off the books by doing this. He's not getting permission doing this. And this, of course, pisses off his commanding brass, and he is threatened with a court martial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the funniest the funniest thing about those opening opening shots of the him dropping the rice is when they they show all the newspaper headlines and there's just, there's the one that just is him smiling and just the headline just says, uh, rice attack. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the big headline. That's the best that the, the fictional newspaper people could come up with for their headline was rice attack. That, that, that doesn't, doesn't quite do it for me. I they need to, they need to come up with some better fake headlines for, for that story. I can't think of any at the moment, but there, there should have been some, but, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it's sort of a unique way. I can't really think of any other uh, action films that have opened with uh, with uh, the the main hero, you know, delivering rice to Kurdish people. So a little bit of originality. But you know what is not original is the little characteristic they give him. And this is a small, this is a small little gripe. But yeah, we know that he is a rebel. We know that he is a hotshot who doesn't like listening to authority because he chews gum constantly. I just love that trope. When you want to establish that your character plays by his own rules, is a, is, is a bit of a hot shot, he is going to chew gum, and when he enters his superior's office, well, he's just going to take that gum out, and he is going to place it on his Air Force wings on his jacket. Just just letting you know that oh, yeah. this dude is... Uh, yeah, well, he, 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 he walks his own walk. Well, yeah, I mean, there's still flavor in that gum. He can still, you know, he's, <laughs> once he gets out of that room... He's, he's, I mean, you know, he's not going to just waste a, a half chew piece of gum. So, uh, you know, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a clear sign that, hey, we, this, he's a rebel and he's not going to do things by the, the way the man tells him to do them. And, uh, and that's just how, how Frank Cross rolls. And we know all about him from, from just those, uh, those, those beginning scenes that he's, uh, he, he loves uh, to feed the people and he, he despises authority. 
Well, like I said, he is threatened with a court-martial. However, his his rogue good deeds get the attention of the president, played by Roy Scheider. I actually really like Roy Scheider in this film. I think he's actually doing a decent job. But yeah, he has been asked to guard the briefcase that holds all of the all of the nuclear weapons codes, and they figure this is going to be a, a, a PR stunt. They figure this will be a positive PR stunt for the president by having this hotshot pilot uh, be the one who uh, who guards the quote unquote president's football, if you will. Yeah, and and like you, I mean, I like Roy Scheider in this too. I mean, um, I, I I did in pre- preparation for our episode here. I kind of looked at some reviews. Uh, just a few reviews around the internet for this movie, and you know, it seemed like a lot of them were like, "Oh, Roy Scheider sleepwalking through a movie," and Roy Scheider, you know, just just kind of, why is he doing this? But I kind of like him, and and I like the fact that they kind of make him, you know, kind of a sleaze ball. I mean, he's not like an evil president, but they kind of no. make him kind of a sleaze ball. He's got the mistress that comes. And uh, so, I mean, I know there's some little touches that they give to his character that I that I think are actually come of some of the stronger parts of the movie. And and I actually thought that Scheider is, is, is pretty good in it. I think, you know, honestly, I think playing a president, I mean, if, you, if you're going to be cast in a movie, if, if it's a big budget, you know, blockbuster or even if it's, if it's something small on, on a lower scale like this, I think playing a president is is a little bit difficult because there's really only so many ways that you can play the president of the United States. Like you said, you can play him a little bit sleazy. You can play him crooked to where he's just a complete, um, you know, a a complete bastard. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or you can play him to where, uh, like Michael Douglas played him in the American president to where he's a little silly. And you know what I mean? So it's, it's one of those roles to where you can't, you really can't give the, the president a heck of a lot of range. I guess if you wanted, you could go Harrison Ford, Air Force One, where you make up a complete badass, but you know, that's, (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that, you know, Scheider, you know, when this movie came out, he has another movie, which I don't know if it's exactly 1997, but it's definitely right around this exact same period called uh, Executive Target with uh, Michael Madsen, where Scheider is is plays the president again, or he's uh, he's kidnapped. Um, so I don't know, kind of interesting that he had a, a couple different presidential movies, uh, right. definitely within a year of each other. Um, but and, I think that was just kind of where, where things were headed for Schneider at that point. And correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. I remember executive target seeing that on the video store shelves. Wasn't that put out by Trimark as well? Um, I, you know, I don't a hundred percent know if it was a Trimark film. Um, I, I do remember that you know Keith David was uh, was sort of the heavy in it. It's actually a pretty cool movie on its own. I, I can't 100% remember if it was Trimark, but I, I just for some reason I've always had that movie and Peacekeeper just kind of linked together because uh, Roy Scheider was the the president in both of them. It might be kind of fun to go and check you know, Executive Target out again just to see if he plays them in a similar way or as he did in, in the peacekeeper, if it's just more of a standard kind of straight arrow president. Cause, cause I like the little kind of sleazy touches that, that he added to, uh, to the peacekeeper it just made, cause you know, normally the president in these kind of movies where, okay, the bombs go, someone's going to blow or something up and they have the shots of the president and you know, they're all kind of standard, but uh, I, I don't know. I thought Scheider did a pretty good job of making those scenes, you know, a little bit better than, than they normally would be. 
Oh, no. Yeah, I, I think he's believable in this role. I, I would say that our introduction to Roy Scheider's president character is pretty humorous. I mean, we're <laughs> in the first scene with him. We're to believe that this is a press conference and just the set and the banner that yeah. is behind him looks like it was printed at a Kinko's. I mean, it's it, yeah. I think. At this oh, point, I know. If you haven't figured it out already that we're seeing that this is. This is a B level production, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I think it was something like the what the Chicago veterans welcome the president or something like that. Yeah. Was, uh, was the banner, and yeah, it looks pretty chintzy and uh, and to me, not 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 befitting even a fictional president, if you ask me. Yeah, no, no, but um, you know, uh, Dolph Lundgren's character Cross, he does accept the job. But as you'd guess, there are other people who have another agenda. And there is this terrorist group who plan to acquire the briefcase, or they keep calling it the black bag in the film, um, which would allow them access to a plethora of missile, uh, excuse me, missiles and nuclear weapons. And so, yeah, this is where the action starts to kick in. Uh, one of the terrorists who is after the black bag, is actually Christopher Heyerdahl uh, returning from Silent Trigger and reuniting with Dolph. So they do get another fight scene once again uh, later on in the film. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, um, adorned in a man bun, so uh, yeah. that's that's kind of a unique. It was you know I guess a, not quite as unique now, but in the late nineties, you didn't really see that look uh, too much, at least that I can recall. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's a, a different kind of character, still a bad guy, but here he's a little more of a methodical, uh, not, not seeing, you know, CGI spiders everywhere. He's a little more on task and, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool that they, they, I, I don't know if it's, if it was just a coincidence or if, you know, that's just, maybe Lundgren enjoyed working with them and, and said, Hey, get that guy for this movie. I, who knows? Um, but you know, it's pretty cool to see him pop up again, uh, in peacekeeper. And, uh, you know, I think he does a pretty good job in it. Um, you know, as you know, sort of those number two henchmen type roles go, I thought he, uh, he, he was, he was fine. No, no big complaints with him. Well, in the first real action sequence in the film, so yeah, uh, Lundgren is to guard this briefcase. He actually has it handcuffed to his wrist. And the first real action sequence in the film, I have to laugh at for so many reasons. I mean, some of these some of these action scenes, it's difficult because, you know, I, I wonder, are they trying to make it, are they trying to play it serious or are they... Are they trying to be humorous in a lot of ways? Um, the first of the gunshots that uh, the Dolph takes to the chest, he's clearly wearing a bulletproof vest, but these shots send him flying across his hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, he... yeah. I think that, that you know, it, it almost seemed like maybe there was a little bit of a John Woo influence there because that was kind of a, a big thing of the period is, you know, not only do people get shot, but they got to go fly through the air once they've been shot. And yeah, it looks kind of ridiculous when, uh, when he's, he's flying, you know, way back into the couch, uh, in, in his hotel room. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a little funky that, that, that exchange right there. Um, but that's not as bad as the, the effect of him falling from the hotel into the, into the alleyway that's that oh, does not look so good that 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 is a bad sequence 
Yeah, and we probably should set a little bit of context. He he's in a hotel room. The uh the the, the room service gentleman who delivers his coffee um brings him his coffee, and Lundgren knows that something is up because it is it is decaf, and yeah, <laughs> and Lund- Lundgren wants something with a little bit of punch in it. So at this point, this um, isn't gonna keep me up. I also think I'm not gonna stay up with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so it's you know, and the, actually, and I will give Lundgren credit on this. Watching these, all of, watching his filmography in the succession that I have been doing, I would say this is the first time where we've really gotten to see him exhibit some some comedic chops. I mean, he is he is having some fun with this role, and a lot of these scenes, he is he's kind of playing it a little bit goofy. I almost kind of wonder if Lundgren, when he signed on and when he was filming these these scenes and everything, he kind of knew, all right, this is direct to video. I'm just going to have fun with it. And, you know, um, cause he is, he is adding a little bit of uh, comedic panache to, to his delivery. No, definitely. I mean, he's not, I mean, well, cause if you look at, you know, the kind of the preceding movies, you know, with men of war and hidden assassin, silent trigger, you know, he's playing kind of these real kind of grim characters for the most part. And, you know, there's not really a lot of room for comedy, and so, yeah, you can definitely tell, especially in the early scenes, that he's got this kind of this jokey swagger to him, and uh, and he's just going to kind of roll with that throughout the rest of the movie, and uh, and I mean, which is is cool. I mean, I think it's it's something that kind of kind of differentiates it a bit from his some of his earlier movies. So, so I, I don't mind that too much. It just adds a little more flavor to it because. You know, aside from that, there there isn't too much flavor uh, going on in the film. No, yeah, like we said, this is this is extremely paint by numbers and straightforward. But yeah, you you touched on the the scene where he falls from the balcony, and this is before the days of the CGI that we have nowadays. But yeah, him falling off the balcony is it's <laughs> it's. Yeah. Oh boy, it, it's fun to uh, watch. And luckily, you know the old. There's this old trope in. Uh, I wouldn't just say action movies, but just movies in general. There, there's this uh, this cliche, this trope that states that if you fall from a building, you're either going to land in a garbage can or on top of a car. And for Dolph, luckily, thank God, here, man, for Dolph, it is a garbage can filled with cardboard boxes. So luckily, he is able to survive that one. Yeah, yeah. So and. It's also the old cliche of disrupting the the homeless man's way of life. You know, <laughs> that that right. seems to be you all you always see that in these movies is that it all just looks like junk to everyone else, but once it's disrupted, there's always some homeless guy who what are you doing and you know starts cursing and and uh, so yeah that's that that's on display here and but yeah that effect of Lundgren falling <laughs> falling off the building it's it's yeah it's like okay we're we're definitely we're 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 not working with Carol Co anymore. <laughs> no, no, no that, that's a good point. We yeah, Carol Co to new image, and there is a there's a exactly. big difference of about a hundred million dollars right there. So yeah, yeah, the the the, the there's there's not as much uh, post production on these ones. But you know, from a story standpoint, you know, watching this again for the third time here, um, which. It, it's, it's weird to say that I've, I've seen the Peacekeeper three times, actually. So, <laughs> but I'm I, I think act- I'm, I'm probably at about, I'm probably at about three times also. So I'm not yeah. going to give you any ribbon for it. And I, I think uh, I don't know. I, I think that's probably two more times than the general public. But in any <laughs> case, in any case, There's three from- more times, three more times than the general public. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but you know, from a story standpoint, I'm actually amazed at how quickly Cross loses the briefcase. I mean, if you think about it, he was he was hired to protect this uh, to protect the football or the black bag or the briefcase, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he loses it so early in the film, and I kind of I, I almost wonder if maybe the film would be more effective and more fun if Dolph was literally handcuffed to this briefcase for the duration of the film. I mean, and if I'm wrong, please let me know. But don't you think that would have added some more tension? And I think it certainly would have added a little bit of comedy to the to the proceedings. But yeah, you have this hotshot rebel pilot who's just swinging around this briefcase and he doesn't fully know the sheer amount of power that is at his disposal by having it. But I was a little disappointed how quickly he just loses it. Yeah, no, I I think it would have been a better idea to just kind of leave him handcuffed to it and make it more of a chase picture with him on the run instead of, you know, turning it into kind of, you know, a generic diehard in a missile silo type of environment. Because, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like I, at at this point in the movie, I mean, I think there's actually some pretty good energy to it. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's. It, it's moving pretty well, and you know it gets to a pretty cool chase scene that's that's coming up, and, and I think it's kind of with it. And to me, it's it's you know once they end up in the silo, I think it kind of it gets even more kind of generic. And so I think yeah, definitely your idea would have been would have been welcome for this one. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking they could have made this uh, similar to Speed, you know, in, in a sense, to where he oh, yeah. he he has this this device that he is attached to. And he is not allowed to lose it. I mean, if he if he gets, you know, a certain distance from it, then, you know, uh, a disaster would happen. I mean, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But, yeah, it's just like you said, it becomes I mean, the film is is generic as is, but it becomes even more generic once he loses it. And I feel like if he had been handcuffed to it from the beginning of the film to the very end and all these various action sequences of him swinging the, the, the briefcase around type you know, with the chain attached to it or something, that would have added just a small stroke of originality to these proceedings to maybe where I would not have forgotten it the next day like I did. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you there. Um, you know, it, it's... I, I, I will say, though, that even though we are kind of bagging on it pretty hard, that the, 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 once he does lose the football, the briefcase, the black bag, whatever, how many terms you want to come up with for it, um, the, the, the chase scene uh, over the roof, over the different rooftops, I think is a really cool sequence. It probably is the best sequence of the whole movie. And uh, I mean, that's basically to me, the, the movie kind of peaks at that point. Yeah, um, that's what, you know, about about 30 minutes in. But that's a really cool sequence for for a movie like this that is otherwise kind of generic. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely got to give my hats off to them that uh, I, I really enjoy the, uh, the the chase over the rooftop and uh, and the, the, the ensuing uh, gunfight that takes place. No, it's actually like you said, it's actually more exciting than the climax, which takes place. In yeah. the missile silo, you know, and I kind of wonder if they had if they had gone with um, the the idea that you and I like better, and maybe they made the chase be on these rooftops. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, because it's really cool. You know, Dolph commandeers a cab, and a car chase ens ensues. You know, I mean, this is a B movie action film, but it's actually pretty good and pretty you know above what you would what you would see oh, yeah. from from B action movies around this time. But yeah, the chase, like you said, it goes through the rooftop. Interestingly, I guess this scene has been used as stock footage and other new image productions. 
I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, so. I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I mean, they've, uh, they've kind of, I, I, I wonder if it's ever been used in another Dolph movie. I don't believe so, but that, that almost wouldn't shock me, but I, yeah. I don't think that's ever happened. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, new image, they've kind of been notorious, uh, f- certainly back in those days for, for reusing footage. And, and I gotta say, it's pretty good footage to reuse. Cause it's, it's one, it's, it's a, it's a humdinger of a sequence. No, it looks real cool. Um, the way the cars are just careening through brick and billboards. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous, sure, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, it is fun to watch. And Dolph's facial expressions here. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but as he's and he's going through the through the brick walls and through the billboards and all sorts of mayhem that they're causing. Dolph is just doing these facial expressions throughout it that are hilarious. I, I would say I will say that these bad guys that he is chasing, they're they're not well, they're inept. But they're dorks. I mean, they're, <laughs> it kind of cracks me up that the lead bad guy has hired just such nerds for this. <laughs> yeah, for the... they're not the best. They're not the most imposing bunch of uh, of heavies that we've seen. And, and, you know, usually Lundgren movies up until this point have had some some pretty cool bad guys. But uh, but yeah, you're 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 definitely you're you're not getting a, a, a Trevor Goddard from Men of War in this movie. Oh, no. No, yeah. So, but the bad guys they think that Cross is dead, but apparently he was able to escape. I'm assuming that when the car was careening from one rooftop to another, uh, Cross was able to jump out. But he is able to slip into one of the uh, one of the bad guys' commando uniform, and he boards the helicopter with the terrorists. I think it's interesting how they never ask him to remove his mask. So luckily, he is able to. Oh, yeah. To infiltrate well, the group that, of bad that guys. whole that whole thing of of switching the clothes with the other guy. I mean, look, these movies are ridiculous, so you can't go too far with it. But that whole sequence, it's like, okay, so he beats the guy up, and then you know, Dolph's in this full military outfit, so he's got to remove his entire military outfit, and then he has to remove the clothing of this unconscious. A bad guy, and he's got to put them all on. I mean, that would that would take a while. That's not yeah. something that's going to be forty five seconds, and then you're good to go, and you're going to be able to go right onto the helicopter with everybody, no problem. I mean, you're looking at a good. I mean, we're, we're looking at eight minutes of work. To, I'm telling you right there, trying to do all that. Um, but whatever, it's 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 the movie, and that's just what we're supposed to buy into. But yeah, I mean, they do. I think it's kind of cool how he gets onto the helicopter and they, and they, I think they say like, Oh, is he dead? And he just holds up the, the dog tags. And that's the, you know, the only thing that he does. And, you know, basically saying, yeah, I killed him. Here's a dog tag. I thought that was kind of cool for, for an otherwise kind of lame moment, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty absurd how he's able to just get on the helicopter like that. Yeah, no, it, it is extremely absurd. And I'll tell you what I found to be even more absurd is the the creep who is operating the phones and using the voice disguiser. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we have this uh one of the one of the villains, one of the henchmen is he's in charge of the phones and so he has this uh, computer screen to where he is able to he has pretty much the voices recorded for all the all the various characters in the film, all the good guys if you will. One of these characters is is Dolph Lundgren's character Cross. And so he is able to make various phone calls using these these uh, using these characters. And th- these scenes, I'll admit, I 
they're pretty embarrassing, especially the scenes where he's pretending to be cross. Uh, and he starts speaking yeah. with Lundgren's son and also starts speaking with uh, Lundgren's girlfriend. And he even starts to uh, uh, begin to question Jane. Jane is his girlfriend's character's name. But he begins to uh, question Jane and having her tell him nasty things. I mean, I guess, I guess from a writing standpoint, they are trying to establish that, of course, he is a bad guy. But the scene just comes off as gross and just really unnecessary in the entire context of the film. Yeah, it's it's a little skeevy. I mean, maybe more so now. And I mean, I, I might have I might have chuckled at it <laughs> maybe about twenty years ago. Maybe I might have found it a little funny. But I guess in today's day and age, we have to kind of poo poo that sort of that sort of behavior. And yeah, it's kind of lame. I mean, when you when you when you when you watch it now, um, uh, and I don't even think that character. I mean, as far as I know, he gets away scot free. He gets away. I don't think he's ever. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. probably is like, oh, this didn't go so well. I'm going to pack up and uh, and move it out. And yeah, he never really gets his comeuppance. That should have been like a like the post credit tag, you know, you know, tagline or something that they should have had Dolph go after him at the very end somehow. But oh, well, hey, that's what are you going to do? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I probably should back up. I didn't find the scene to be um, so much offensive as just kind of out of place in in the in the proceedings yeah, I mean, of the film. I mean, yeah, it's just. It, 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 it's just, it, it, it's a it's character just... that, yeah, it, it's a character that I'm kind of like, why is this character even here? I mean, and, and I guess they could have had someone operating the phone lines to, you know, complete this, uh, to complete the mission. But yeah, it's just, I mean, he, you know, he comes off of as, I don't know if you remember, uh, Chris Elliott used to play a character on David Letterman, where he was just this kind of creepy guy holding the cigarette. I don't know if you remember that, and I can't remember the character's yeah. name. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't remember the name either. But I, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and that that that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much all he's doing. And then just the end, like you said, the character doesn't get any comeuppance. And then at the end, where uh, Lundgren reunites with his son and also reunites with his girlfriend, and his son says, "Hey, Bucko," and Lundgren's like, "Well, what are you talking about, Bucko?" And then the then the girlfriend looks at him and says, oh, I, I bought that thing you were talking about. And Lundgren's like, what are you talking about? And I guess we're supposed to find humor in that for some weird reason, that this that this villain was, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's just, it's just, it's an out-of-place scene that uh, it, it's n not not one of the better moments. So coming off of the uh, the really cool roof chase scene, it's it's not really a, a good scene to, to come right after that. It's embarrassing, and I, I don't want to say <laughs> I don't want to say the next character is embarrassing, but I'm just wondering why he's here. So we get our uh, we get the character who Lundgren is going to team up with eventually. Montel Williams plays a lieutenant colonel in this film. Why why is Montel Williams in this film? <laughs> well, it was he was a he was a known quantity in, in at that time and. And I'm pretty sure, like, boy, I, I don't want to come off like I, I know a ton about Montel Williams, but I'm pretty sure, like, that was how he got his show, is that he was, like, a military guy who became, like, a motivational speaker. And so I think he had some sort of a military background. So I guess, you know, at least he, he knows a little bit about the military. So, but yeah, he's just not good in this. And he just, his facial expressions are just a little too animated and I don't know. There's just so many other actors that probably would have been way better at this. I think I even, I mean, I read on the, um, 
on the 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 Dolph uh, the forum that that Jocks runs. Um, I read that I guess this at one point this was I guess set to be a movie with Kiefer Sutherland and Lou Gossett Jr. and this would have been a a, a, a much better. A reunion for Dolph and Lou Gossett Jr. than uh, than cover up was. Oh so, God, yeah. I, mean, that, he, I think Lou Gossett he would have been he would have been great in this. Yeah, so it's too bad they couldn't make that happen. Um, because yeah, I think he would have been outstanding. But yeah, Montel, it's it just does not work at all. He's just he's not good. And uh, and if if you're asking me about you know Dolph's history of talk show host co stars, you know, give me uh, Jerry Springer and the Defender any day. Well, you know, I, okay. So I kind of, I kind of had this, uh, I, I realized this as I was watching this, you know, if you, I'm kind of wondering if around this time, if teaming up with talk show hosts could very well have been a trope of Dolph Lundgren films in a lot of ways. Cause if you remember <laughs> around, around this period or so, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, the, the kind of the thing that he seemed to be doing in a lot of his films was he was utilizing the whole twin plot line in many of his films. Uh, Steven oh, Seagal, yeah. he was choosing to work with rappers. And so in a lot of the films that Steven Seagal oh, yeah. was done around this time, he was he was starring with, uh, let's see, he had DMX and Ja Rule and... Uh, yeah, and Ja Rule, and yeah. And all those. Uh, well, later, later, yeah, yeah. And so, and I'm wondering if maybe this was Dolph's thing. Was he attempting to team up with middle-aged talk show hosts? Because like you said... We have Montel in this film. We have Jerry Springer, who plays the president in The Defender. I'm kind of wondering, do you think Dolph had Phil Donahue lined up for a project or maybe even Mari Povich? I don't know. I, I Oh, God. <laughs> I I would have loved a, a Dolph Donahue movie. That would have been fantastic because I don't know where Donahue went. I mean, he's like, I mean, isn't he? He's alive. I mean, where the heck did he go? I mean, that guy, I mean, he was like the OG of the afternoon, even before Oprah, there was Donahue. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel bad that, uh, that, that Donahue is kind of just, is, is just nowhere to be seen anymore, especially in today's day and age. I feel like we need him more now than ever. And he's just not around to, to, to guide us through life. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would have, I would have been fine if, if he'd have done a movie with, um, with Povich, that would have been cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's too bad that that didn't really quite take off for him as a, as a, uh, as a regular trope. I mean, basically just did it to two times. And, and like I said, I mean, I thought I'll, I'll take Springer's performance as the president over, uh, Montel as the, 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 uh, the, the buddy in, in this movie any day. You know, Springer actually isn't, uh, he's actually pretty good in the defender. And I think a lot of that is actually because London directed that one and London knows how to direct a film, but uh, Springer actually did another film, oddly enough with the same producers of the defender. He did another one called citizen verdict that uh, it was a small little independent film. That's kind of hard to find, but he plays a sleazy, uh, excuse me, a sleazy producer of, of a reality show. And, and the film is pretty ridiculous to be perfectly honest, but uh, Springer does an okay job in it. But Regarding this film, this was the acting debut of Montel Williams, and I think this is pretty much all he really did in terms of his acting. How this came across his desk, I don't know. I don't know if Montel was was seeking out an acting role or if maybe his agent came to him and said, hey, there's a Dolph Lundgren picture and uh, you would be great for the for the role of uh, Colonel Northrup is his name. I don't know how it happened, but it mm. is it is weird seeing him in it. Yeah, it's 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 weird is one word for it, you know, <laughs> embarrassing, uh puzzling is another good one for it. 
Um, it just doesn't work. I mean, there's just, I mean, you can, you can, we can make jokes and we can crack wise about it. I guess that on that level, it's kind of fun, but man, I mean, I just feel like they could have just thrown a dart at, at pretty much anybody who was a working actor at that time and would have come up with somebody better than this. I mean, you know, give me Ernie Hudson, give me Keith David, you know, give me, like I said, Lou Gossett Jr., uh, I think you, you'd have you'd have ended up in a far better situation than you did with uh, Montel. Carl Weathers. I mean, Carl Weathers. What was he doing around? Oh this hell time? yeah! He could have. I mean, he could have done Absolutely. this. Absolutely. That. Well, yeah. I mean, that would have been more interesting for the video store box. You know, Dolph Lundgren. I'm surprised they never did a movie together. Dolph, yeah. Carl Weathers. Because uh, because around oh, this time, that's that's an even better idea. Around this time, Carl Weathers he was doing uh, syndicated television shows. So I mean, he I think he would have been game for something like this. Oh yeah, no. At this point, I think he was doing like those movies with Hulk Hogan too. Yeah, well, I forget the name of them, but there were those ones that he did with Hogan. Shadow so Warriors. yeah, I think he would have been. To- yeah, there yeah, you there go. go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, I think he would. He, he'd have been. He'd have been absolutely stoked to to do well with Dolph at this point. Yeah, I'm surprised that. No company ever tried to do that and tried to take, you know, the two the two guys from Rocky Four and put them in another, you know, low budget action movie. So that's a wasted opportunity. Now I feel like that's that that would have been the best best case scenario for everyone if they yeah. would have used Carl Weathers. But you know, Cross and uh, Colonel Northrop, so that's 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 Montel and Lundgren. They join forces, and it is a match made in heaven. Uh, so, um, oh, of course. But Northrop, he seems to have all of the necessary information and intel on the silo and all the missiles within. Uh, pretty much, you know, Montel's character provides the exposition. He provides all the necessary exposition for the film, and so that that's kind of his uh, that's kind of his role. But we also find out who the leader of the terrorist group is. The leader of the terrorist group is played by my, uh, actor Michael Sarazen. Uh, he plays a character by the name of Murphy Douglas, who is a former military colonel, thought to be dead, who has just a, an immense disdain for the president. And we find out uh, apparently Douglas was sent in to assassinate. If, if I'm if I'm reading this correct, okay, because they they do go over it pretty quickly. Basarazin's character was sent in to assassinate Saddam Hussein during the Iraq War. The president decided to abort the mission and bombed the team using the very type of missiles that Douglas is now in control of. And so uh, Sarazen's character, he feels angry. He feels that his government betrayed him. So he's threatening nuclear destruction as payback. This is a character, let's be perfectly honest, this is a character we've seen before. I mean, the the soldier who's been betrayed. He's the soldier who's been betrayed by his government and is resorting to terrorism to make a statement. I mean... Tommy Lee Jones played this exact character in Under Siege. Ed Harris played this right. exact character in The Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you can go with the. Uh, I mean, it wasn't so much out of patriotism or or anything like that, but you know, um, Travolta and Broken Arrow was kind of the same right. same situation. Right. Uh, kind of the the disgr- the disgruntled military officer is going to go rogue. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean. And I guess the problem with this type of character, seeing uh, Michael Sarazen playing this type of character, is just the fact that we've seen it done better. And I mean, you know, and look, yeah. we can't we can't knock this film down too much because again, it has a fraction of the budget that these other films had. But it's it's hard not to compare it when you see these other films and then you see them trying to ape that same type of character, that same type of uh, uh, character arc, if you will. It's it, it's it's a little difficult. 
Yeah, and I mean, they, they don't really do Sarazen many favors by just kind of sticking him in this, in the, you know, missile control room for pretty much the whole movie. And he, pretty, you know, pretty much all his scenes are just with the, the techie guy. And they just don't really give him anything to really do. So it's just kind of a lame character. I mean, he's got the creepy, different colored eyes, um, the thing going on. So, I mean, that's, I guess, some kind of an interesting little quirk that they give him. But, it, yeah, I mean, they just, there's really nothing interesting about the character that, uh, that makes you, that makes you really care, uh, that, that Dolph is able to stop him. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a missed opportunity with him. Yeah, no, big time. But you know, the, the, this character, Douglas, he is ordering the president to stand in a cemetery and kill himself on camera. This is like going to be the ultimate, the ultimate statement. There's a little bit of symbolism in there as well, but yeah, that, that's pretty much what, uh, the, the punishment that, uh, Sarazen's character wants Roy Scheider to, to suffer is, you know, suicide on camera in, in in the cemetery of uh, of Douglas's former comrades, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's actually, I think, kind of a cool little little ploy, and, and the way that that actually ends up uh, resolving itself is, is 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 sort of amusing. So, I mean, I'll give the the film a few points on, on that level. That I, I do sort of like that they have Scheider, you know, go all the way out there, and he's at the grave. And then, you know, obviously he he, he ends up not uh, killing himself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I I sort of appreciated that little uh, that that he was basically just kind of doing that as a goof uh, on Roy Scheider. Um, so so yeah, I'll, I'll give the film a few a, a, some points for that at least. Yeah, no. And the terrorist crew they are able to activate one of the missiles and they fire it at a treasured landmark. Mount Rushmore and they just decimate Mount Rushmore. It's, it's, it's a, it's a sight to see Chris, especially in the, in the age of free CGI. It's, 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 it's a wondrous uh, thing. Yeah. To see. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, which, you know, sixth grade class project, <laughs> uh, Mount Rushmore, they were, they were able to find for that sequence, but, uh, that kid did a hell of a job. I hope he got a credit at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, some sort of a, a assistant production design or something like that. Cause, uh, cause I'll tell you that, that sixth grader did a fine job on that Mount Rushmore. Way better, way better than I would, would have done in the sixth grade or even better than I would do now. So, so hats off to whoever that child was. And again, this is, this is Lundgren, 1996, saying, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm king of direct to video. That's cool. I just got married. We're having some kids. Uh, let's do this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I no, mean, absolutely. And, I, and I can't, I can't. And that, that's the thing is as much fun as we're having with this. Uh, it, we're not knocking Dolph in any way because I mean, he is, he is doing, no, no way. He is so, doing the yeah. best he possibly can with what he's given. And I think he is actually, as we watch this and as we get to the recommendation near the end, he's the best part about it. I mean, no, 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 no bones about it. He is the, yeah, he's the best thing. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, he's and I think that's one of the things that, that I've always kind of appreciated about him. Now, not every movie, because, I mean, there are certainly ones where he has checked out of and, you know, there's no no way, no, no way around it. But certainly in this period, you know, even when the movies weren't that great, I mean, I think he was definitely doing his doing his best. I mean, he was not, you know, half assing it. He was like, OK, look, I know why people want to see me. 
I'm going to I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to try and make make these stunts look a little bit cooler than they might otherwise. I'm going to try and, you know, give a little bit more of flair to some of this stuff. I, I know that these are pretty generic movies, but but I'm going to I'm going to give it my all. And so that's what's a quality I've always kind of appreciated. And that's definitely on display in the Peacekeeper. I mean, he's he's trying. He is not. It's not a lazy performance. It's not just uh, just, hey, you know, pay me and I'll hit my marks and then I'll go home. Um, that, that's not what's going on here. I mean, he he's he's putting in a performance. It's just in service of a film that that just can't quite put everything together. No, no. And at this point in the film, I mean, we, we probably should establish, yeah, Dolph still does not have the briefcase. The briefcase is in the hands of the terrorists. Obviously, that's how they were able to decimate uh, Mount Rushmore. And at this point, this is where Dolph becomes a one-man army. And it's hearkening back to the to the whole diehard trope. You know, he's in a race against time. Northrop has been injured. He's been shot in the leg. So Colonel Northrop, this is Montel's character, uh, he is acting as the eyes and the ears because he simply cannot keep up due to his injury. And Dolph is forced to climb one of the missiles and defuse it. Uh, we actually see him. He does change outfits once again. And in this later act of the film, he's wearing this uh, radiation suit to protect him. I'm assuming this is how he is able to uh, uh, protect himself when the missile is... <laughs> later on in the film, uh, Dolph yes. is rolling around as a missile is going off and he's pretty much engulfed in flames and he's... He's a okay, but yeah, uh, Lundgren is wearing a, a yeah. pretty slick suit in these uh, scenes here. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not a really it's not a real not a real tough look. No, uh, it just doesn't. It's not you know when you think of how action stars should look in these movies, you know the the big sh you know kind of shiny missile protection suit it's just not it just doesn't look quite right. Um, so, I mean, I really, practically I understand why it's there. Um, for for later on in the movie, but yeah, it's just it's, it's kind of it just looks pretty lame. Yeah, no, we do get a pretty sweet hand-to-hand uh, -hand battle uh, with Christopher Haradol's character. Uh, I had no idea, but um, Haradol, um, I don't know if he if he's a skilled martial artist in, in in real life, or maybe he just trained to to look like he was one in these scenes. Uh, but he is using martial arts, and he has given Dolph a real fight in these scenes. Yeah, I mean the fight the fight's okay. It's you know, it's decent. It's not one that I'll put up as one of the, the all timers for Dolph. Um it's okay. I'll I'll say this. The thing that I really like about the fight scene is you know, so as they're fighting, you know, they're kinda you know, they're trading punches and, and all that, but then um that's the 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 silo door is about to close because they're gonna launch that missile. And as soon as both uh, Dolph and Heyerdahl, they see that the door is closing, they, they immediately stop fighting each other and they start to team up to try to keep the door open. Yeah. So I thought that was like a, a kind of a neat little touch that, you know, all of a sudden they're going from these mortal enemies to like, you know, holy shit, we're both going to get, you know, sauteed in here. You know, let's get we got to get this door open. And uh, so I don't know that, that that was kind of a nice touch. And then so I, I do I did like that. And, uh, you know, that's that's the one thing that's kind of stuck with me from their fight scene was just the, the the fact that they just all of a sudden have to team up to try to keep that door open. Well, and they're also, like I said earlier, they're, they're battling underneath uh, one of these missiles as it's getting ready to launch. And so they're fighting, they're battling literally under the smoke and the fire of this missile. And they're really not getting burnt in the least. And 
thank God again, Dolph is wearing a radiation no, no. suit. But um, yeah, it's 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 a little uh, laughable. Here. But they're not. But he does. But at that point, it's like they don't. Neither one of them has any kind of like mask on or anything. Yeah. they're just kind of. You know they're 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 just sort of there, just fighting, and the yeah the all the 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 fumes and the flames from the missile are, are it, yeah it just it's it's kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no other way around it. Well, and here's another slight issue I have. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but in these scenes where Lundgren is becoming, like I said, this one man army, he becomes a killing machine, and he starts killing the bad guys, but he's doing so quickly and indiscriminately. I mean, one terrorist, it's uh, it's the dork who was described as, a, or excuse me, who was disguised as a room service attendant earlier. Uh, Dolph kills him with an axe. And I mean, it's just, it's one, yeah. it's one of those things. Well, that, well, no, but, you know, before he uses the axe, like, to me, the best, the best exchange of dialogue uh, occurs right before that is when, you know, so yeah, the guy who was uh, the waiter earlier on, you know, he's, you know, he's about to engage here with Dolph. And he he utters the line, you know, how do you want to die, Dickwad? Yeah, you know that's I mean that's great stuff right there. How do you want to die, Dickwad? <laughs> and Dolph just has the best response. Old, yeah, I love that. That's great. That's good stuff. That's the best exchange in the movie. But see, here's my problem with with Lundgren uh, with his character killing someone with an axe because at the beginning of the film, it was established that he is this pilot with a heart of gold. And so, and and here he is. He's he's throwing an axe into this into this one terrorist. I guess I wouldn't have so much of an issue with this if maybe it was established earlier that instead of a pilot, he um, uh, Lundgren's character was a marine who maybe was uh, on the front lines and you know in Iraq or something like that. But um, the fact that he's a pirate, oh, excuse me, <laughs> not a pirate, a pilot uh, who now there's a movie there's a right movie, there. Yeah, but the fact that he was this pilot who's yeah. dropping food to refugees, and we just see him. Um, you know, he, he's firing a gun, killing a, a couple terrorists before that. And then he throws, like I said, an axe into this dude. That, it, it didn't really gel with me 100%. Uh, see, I got I got to disagree with you here. Because at this point in the movie, uh, I'm kind of like, you know, I wish he would have just been hacking up people left and right. And just, you know, just use the axe to just, you know, just, I wanted to see limbs flying and heads lopped off. I wish there would have been way more axe play than just the, the little bit that we had because, I mean, it's just kind of everything is so conventional and so kind of by the book that, uh, you know, if, if there would have been a, you know, a few more, a few more heads lopped off and axes to the chest, um, I, I think I would have been, per I would have perked up quite a bit towards the end. <laughs> but uh, Dolph is able to get the briefcase back, thankfully. Um, he steals it from Colonel Douglas. Again, this is Michael Sarazen, the leader of the terrorists. He steals it from him just before he drops to his own death. Kind of an anticlimactic battle between Dolph and the and the lead terrorist. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I know Sarazen. I mean, he's since passed away, but I don't know what kind of shape he was in when he was doing this movie. But I mean, I I get the feeling that he kind of signed on with the uh with the clause of look i i'm not going to be doing much uh, aside i'll deliver my lines the best i can and i'll try to be as imposing as possible but physically i'm not, i'm not going to do a whole lot to to really sell any kind of stunts or fights in this movie no. and and yeah his de his demise kind of kind of points to to my theory being correct 
Yeah, no, but I, I imagine in the contract they did ask him, can you at least do a sadistic, sinister laugh before you drop to your death? Oh, yeah. And Sarazen said, yes, I can do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Oh, he, he can do that perfectly fine, and he did just great. But, uh, but yeah, it's I, I would say that, you know, Dolph versus Sarazen at the end of this, it's, it's not quite Seagal versus Tommy Lee Jones at the end of Under Siege. Oh, no. Uh, not, not, not really, not really hitting those, those type of heights to these kind of movies. No. So, uh, yeah, it's like, it, it, it's not climactic. Anticlimactic is one way of putting it. Uh, just garbage is another way, maybe, that I would say. Just, 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 just bad, bad, bad. And, I, you know, that I wish they could. I mean, even if you couldn't have Sarazen engage in any kind of fight, which I understand that, I mean, it would look maybe kind of silly him fighting Dolph, but come up with something a little better to, 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 to send him off. And that's kind of a problem I have with a lot of action movies is come up with some better final deaths. So, I mean, that's the, the art of the final death is, has kind of been lost and, Maybe Peacekeeper was a, was one of those movies that started it uh, back in the late nineties. Oh no! Remember in Under Siege? Remember how uh, Tommy Lee Jones died? He got a knife in the skull. I mean, so. <laughs> oh yeah, well, then, and then he gets his, and then he gets the the knife in the skull, and then he gets you know his face pushed into one of the radar screens. Oh man, that was great. Yeah, classic. Yeah. So, but yeah, D- Dolph, like I said, he's able to get the briefcase back. We get a bit of an artistic touch here with the countdown scene. It's it's nothing. Uh, it's nothing spectacular, but it is trying to remind you that this is a B-movie trying to look a little bigger than it is. But yeah, we get Dolph sprinting to open the briefcase and turn the key before the missile blows up the White House. So yeah, we, we get, it's in slow motion, Dolph running, the countdown clock is going. We've seen this before. Um, actually, I think it was done better in uh, yeah. Time Cap, excuse me, Time Cop, I believe, pretty much did the exact same shot beat for beat. But you know, it's 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 not bad. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 a a nice touch in the movie. You know, again, I feel like I've I've kind of bagged on this movie maybe a little more than I was planning to because I I don't think I don't think that it's just garbage. It's not. I think it's it's fine. And yeah, I think that that little bit of that touch at the end there with him running and the countdown, even though we've seen it so many times. Um, I, I think they did a fairly good job with that sequence, and uh, you know, it, yeah, I would, I would say I'll, I'll get, that was one of the one of the, one of the high points of the movie. Yeah, I, I do, I do have to laugh at um, at one of the final scenes in the film. So after after everything, after Dolph saves the day, the bad guys are dead. Well, excuse me, most of the bad guys are dead. The the creepy phone operator has gotten away. No, for he's he's fine. Yeah, for for he's for him to harass yeah. and uh, and terrorize other people with his phone skills, he's 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 off. But for the most part, everyone else has, has been killed. But I do have to laugh um, at these scenes where. Um, Dolph is chewing gum. So once again, as he as he retrieves the briefcase, he he pops a piece of gum in his mouth. And I have to laugh at this because the, the same thing, if you remember, in direct action, uh, Lundgren did the film Direct Action. Yeah. So many years later, and if you remember, yeah, his character in that was constantly chewing gum. And yeah, it's weird that I remember this, but I do. I distinctly remember. In <laughs> indirect action, he offers his partner, if you remember, it's in the beginning of the movie, but he offers his partner a stick of gum, and she says, no, thank you. And as he puts it in his mouth, he says, well, you don't know what you're missing. And then <laughs> and then in this film, in Peacekeeper, he pops the gum in his mouth again, and as he's doing it, Montel Williams, uh, his character, looks at him and says, that, kind of, that stuff will kill you. 
So here's my question to you. What kind of gum is this that Dolph is chewing in both of these films? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it must be like some really high sugar content gum <laughs> that can, you know, maybe incite diabetes. Maybe that's what Montel is, is trying to say. Because, I mean, I, a lot of people chew gum so that they quit smoking. I mean, gum is probably more of a lifesaver than something that'll kill you. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't. I never quite understood that line either. Uh, I, I I don't really understand half of what Montel was saying in the movie, to be honest with you. But uh, but yeah, certainly not the gum line, definitely. Well, but Cross he does let Colonel Northrop take credit for all of the heroics to the press. Um, he doesn't really want any more attention, I guess, because he had so much attention earlier when he was dropping rice to the refugees in Turkey. So he he lets Colonel Northrop take credit for for all these heroics. They both walk away insistent on holding on to the briefcase, quote-unquote, this is a line from the movie, until the president gets his politics figured out and decides how he will use these missiles accordingly. Yeah, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sorry. If the president is ordering that you give that briefcase that is his, I'm sorry, where was Lundgren going to take it? I mean, if he isn't going to surrender it to the president, where is well, he going? Well, there's your sequel. You know, it's uh, Lundgren holds on to the the football, and it's now it's Roy Scheider, you know, ordering the government to to go after uh, both Dolph and Montel, and that's 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 Peacekeeper Part Two. You know, so I mean, unfortunately, it never quite happened, but uh, I mean, it, it technically, I guess, it could still happen. Uh, not with Roy Scheider as president, but certainly Dolph and Montel, I think, could could reteam for uh, for a follow up. And, you know, 20 years later, maybe they still have the football and they've just been kind of moving around uh, from city to city with it, you know, in their possession. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cheesy way to end the movie. But uh, I, I don't I mean, maybe the director was trying to make some kind of statement about nuclear weapons. I don't know if I'm giving him more credit than he deserves by saying that, but uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of a the movie's got to end somehow, and th this is how we'll do it. Now, here's how the film ends. Uh, the film <laughs> the film actually ends with a freeze frame uh, of Dolph and Montel smiling. This is a scene I never thought I'd see, let alone say, as the credits roll. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's. It, yeah, there's just there's just no way to really uh, to really like I I remember what what I remember is you know this back in the late '90s when when you know I would kind of talk about movies with people and eventually say oh I'm a big fan of Dolph Lundgren and and they're like oh really oh that's kind of interesting because not many people really would you know say that and then you kind of talk about the movies that they're working on or what they have coming out and like yeah well yeah he's doing this movie with Montel Williams. And it, it, it just kind of reminds me of that era and of, of when he was just kind of falling, falling a bit from his perch among the, the other action stars, even though they all eventually kind of fell by the wayside. But, but he, you know, he was kind of maybe the first to, to fall into these sort of movies. And, and yeah, it's just every, everything that I think about with, with him and Montel just doesn't, it just doesn't work. I'm sure Montel's a nice guy. I don't know. I don't want to make it seem like I, I dislike him personally or anything, but I just in this movie, he just it just uh, just it's just bad. Well, you know, it's funny about Montel actually. In in researching for this, I kind of was wondering myself, like, what has Montel been up to? Um, I know he um he he sponsors some kind of uh, 
I don't know if it's life insurance or something like that, but I, I see him. Um, yeah, like I, I've, I, I, I've seen him do ads. I don't know if it's for life insurance or for like payday maybe loans. Maybe that's it, payday loans, something or, like that. Uh, maybe that, which if he's doing the ads for the payday loans, I don't know if that's really a good thing, but um, because the, you know, they, they, those are kind of gyps, but not that I would know, but um, the, um, the, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I think he's had like, I don't know if he, I think he has like multiple sclerosis. Yeah. He's had some kind of disease because I know he's really big into like medical marijuana and he, you know, that was like a big cause for him. And, and Hey, I mean, I hope he's doing well, right. And you know, whatever he can do to make himself feel better. That's fine by me. So nothing wrong with that. I, but yeah, I, I don't, other than seeing him do some ads for payday loans, I haven't seen him do too much lately, but, but, uh, you know, again, not a big fan of him in this movie, but again, I, Nothing against him personally. Well, and I know that he did. Um, I, 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 according to what I read online, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I guess um, a lot of the networks that aired his television, uh, his talk show, decided to kind of cut ties with him back in uh, what was it around two thousand, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, somewhere around there, um, when he was pretty outspoken about uh, how all, all the all the networks and all the media, uh, the news coverage was giving so much attention to uh, Heath Ledger's death over over the soldiers who were dying you know who were fighting overseas and oh. he yeah and he he was very vocal and actually he was on an interview wow. and they asked him what do you what do you what do you have to say about Heath Ledger's death and he just flat out said you know my heart goes out to him but why are we spending so much time talking about this and not talking about the soldiers and so and that's a man who you know what he is standing by his convictions and I, I have the ultimate respect for the fact that he he decided to make a stand around this time so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's admirable. Yeah. yeah I'm definitely. Uh, I'll give him props for that. Um. You know. I don't. I'm. I'm probably not gonna get any payday loans from no. him anytime soon. No. But. But yeah. So that that stance. Uh, I'm with him. Yeah. He, it, just in general, people. If you're listening to this, the whole payday loans. It's a total scam. So you know, stay away from it. I mean, find some other way. Uh, to 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 make those those bills paid before uh, before the first of the month. That's my little PSA for our episode. <laughs> That'll here. be your shout out at the end. I'll I'll, I'll let you re- reiterate that again. <laughs> but you know what's yeah. what's also strange about this film, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but around 1997, the same year that this came out, we also got the Peacemaker with George Clooney and Nicole yes. Kidman. And what's weird is not only do these two right. movies have similar titles, but both movies tackled similar themes and similar conflicts. Peacemaker is a much better made movie. Um, it, it also looks better because it has, you know, triple the budget that this one had. But I just thought that was so odd considering, you know, here are these two movies that had that has share such similar titles are so similar in, in terms of their, their overall story. Yeah. So now do you believe at all that, um, that, that do you, do you think that, new image, you know, knew that the peacemaker was coming out and it was, you know, it's going to be a big George Clooney movie, uh, you know, big guy from ER, you know, now Batman, he's going to do this movie. Now, do you think that they changed the name from Hellbent to peacekeeper to try to kind of, kind of, you know, maybe, you know, that's classic direct to video, you know, give it a, a title similar to a theatrical movie. So people will rent it and not know the difference. Um, I mean, do you think there was, there's any re any any type of uh, truth to maybe that that was the reason that it was called the peacekeeper? You know, that's a really good question. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. Um, the, the only uh, yeah. the only thing that I would be hesitant on fully saying yes with um, to, to that question is just because 
if, if you remember, not, not too many movies around 96, 97, around, excuse me, around that period, were using hell in their title. I mean, you know, I mean, that that was kind of still kind of like a, a marketing no-no around that time. You know what I mean? I mean, if you think about it, we didn't get a, a movie with uh, the word ass in its title until 2010, 2011. So, and I'm referring to Kick-Ass, yeah. obviously. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I felt like, I mean, because there was, you know, Chuck Norris had Hellbound. Oh, you're right. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there were there were a few here and there. Um, so, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Hellbent is a, would have been a way better title. I think Peacekeeper is kind of generic. Yeah. Um, you know, Peacekeeper, I think, might might be a better title for like a Western. But, uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I've, I've always kind of wondered if it was maybe, you know, midway while they were filming. They realized, oh, hey, you know, there's going to be this big George Clooney movie that's going to come out. You know, it's kind of similar, you know, nuclear type terrorist stuff. And if they were trying to piggyback on that. But I have no idea if that if that was the case or not. But but I, I think Hellbent would have been a, a better title. Usually I, I'm arguing for the titles that they go with in these movies. Like, you know, I come in peace compared to Dark Angel, stuff like that. But in this case, I think Hellbent it just would have had a little more of a little more pizzazz to it. Peacekeeper is just I feel like once. Once you see the title Peacekeeper, you're like, oh, this is, I already know this is going to be pretty generic. Yeah, yeah, no. So, well, but as we wrap this up, again, thank you so much for coming on for this one with me. Because like I said, we're at that period of his, of Lundgren's films that, you know, are, are like I said, kind of um, a little unknown. And not, not too many people know about them. Not too many people really yeah. even discuss them. And so I, I pretty much told you from the beginning that there are going to be quite a few films that I'm going to be saying, Chris. I gotta have you on for, but I, I will say that when I reached out to you regarding this one, I think I gave you a handful of films, and this was one that you said, okay, out of all the films that uh, that you've given me, I'd like to discuss the the Peacekeeper. So I guess does this one get a recommend from you, not just uh, not just as a Dolph Lundgren vehicle, but as a movie in general? Yeah, man, Ooh, really put me on the spot. I mean, I can't quite recommend it. You know, I, 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 maybe I'm being a little too harsh. Again, there are things that I like about it. I like Dolph in it. I like the rooftop chase. It's, it's not without some charm here and there. But if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I, I just kind of put it in the real among Dolph's movies. I put it in, a, in the right kind of in the middle of the road and maybe just a little bit under that. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll call it the Mendoza line, uh, just maybe just a little bit under that line of, of being a, a, at the middle. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is kind of that period where things were getting a little, little more conventional, though. I, I will say, I think some of the movies he did right after Peacekeeper are actually there's some good ones, I think, coming up um, immediately after Peacekeeper, uh, at least ones that I like a lot more than Peacekeeper. So I can't quite get recommended. I mean, you know, if you're a hardcore Lundgren fan and if you're, you're someone who's maybe just starting to, maybe, maybe this podcast is kind of turning people into fans. And if, if you're, you know, really, you know, becoming a huge fan and you want to see some of the movies that he was doing back in the nineties, then yeah, you know, check it out. It's not without its charms. But I can't quite give it a recommendation. It's it's not one that if people were going to ask me, hey, you know, what are some of his movies to watch? It's it's just not one that I would name. Well, and you know, like I said earlier, this film is available to if anyone is uh, curious about checking this film out. I mean, I know that we've 
we've kind of dogged it here, but um, the, the, it does have some cool things going for it. Um, so if you're an Amazon Prime member and you do want to check it out for even some of the, the small moments that we've discussed, it is available for free streaming on Prime. I will say right now, uh, on the version that is available on Amazon Prime, there is some terrible, some embarrassing ADR that is thrown in the film. I don't know why this particular version exists, mm. um, but there is absolutely no cussing available in the version that is uh, that is on Amazon Prime. I actually, yeah, wow. I actually wrote these down, and I actually had the subtitles on to make sure that what I was hearing was correct. But these are some of the, uh, the on the so if you, again. Are are you trying to tell me that they maybe dubbed out Dickwad? I I I don't know, but I did write these down. Okay, so these are so uh, everyone out there listening, if you have it on DVD, this is not uh, this is not the you, you get you get the cursing. Okay, but on Amazon Prime, you get you get such insults as "son of a fish," you get "son of a witch," oh. um, you get the term oh. "son of a bum." fuzz us up wow that's i like yeah. that one and the scene where lundgren is scaling uh one of the u.s missiles um trying to disarm it uh lundgren says first freaking day so um yeah so terrible adr there if you can get past that or if you want some some good laugh uh go ahead and take a look at, at, at what's available on prime right now well i wonder what they have the because when i know when he falls into the kind of the bums area in the in the alley when he falls from the hotel i mean the i mean i don't i'm not going to use this term but the the bum uses the full mf -er term um on dolph uh when he does that so i wonder what amazon or what the version that amazon is using uh, uh replace that with that that'll be uh I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll i'll fire it up on prime just to, so i kind of amuse yeah, myself with I, what they what they use instead of the the dreaded yeah, no, I, I need to go back and <laughs> and take a look but you know re regarding my recommend you know I, i'm right there with you chris actually it's it's difficult to really fully enjoy this film because there are a few fun moments yes uh mainly the the rooftop car chase i think like you said the film peaks at that moment i like the fact that dolph is attempting some humor here uh, for the first time, I would say, in his career, um, it really comes through, and he does have some real comedic chops. Um, the problem with this film is just everything else about it is just forgettable. Um, I feel like everything about this film, from the main villain to the overall plot and conflict, has been done numerous times before and so much better that it's unfortunately just not enjoyable as a result. Uh, I do like the fact that this was the film that got Dolph in a relationship with New Image, um, who really helped him and his career. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they they really helped him and his career thrive throughout the 90s and in the 2000s. But this is just one film that's really just kind of meh. You know what I mean? So on that front, I don't, I don't right. think I can give it a full part I'd recommend. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I it's it it's tough because, you know, I... I I, it, it's 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 kind of bittersweet because it's the first time I've done one of these episodes where I'm just not fully on board with the movie. I don't think that it's junk. I, I mean, I think there are some good qualities to it, and you know, there there he I'll say this: he's made much 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 worse movies than this one. Uh, I mean, he's made a lot one a lot that are better, but and there's a lot that are worse than the Peacekeeper. I mean, there are a few movies that he's done that I would beg to watch the Peacekeeper again. But it just, I mean, if I'm if I'm really trying to judge it, 
as just an action movie and a way to kind of kick back and enjoy an hour and a half. Um, it, it just doesn't quite meet the, the, the standards that I'm looking for from that kind of a movie. Well, and you know, as a doll film, like I said, there, there's a few fun elements about his character that stand out, but in a lot of ways, he pretty much, um, you know, the, what's also difficult in recommending this is he pretty much went on to play variations of this exact same type of character later on in his career. So I, I almost feel you can almost yeah. watch yeah. those films and still get a gist of what Dolph was going for. And you really don't need to see this one. You know, I, I, like I said, in the end, I think this is just, it's a forgettable piece that I imagine has, I I think it's probably been forgotten by Lundgren as well, but I imagine it did. I imagine that it did probably help pay for his wedding to his beautiful wife at the time. So there were some perks there. And, you know, like we discussed at the beginning of the episode, you know, his family was his number one commitment around this time. At least I'm assuming it was. And so I have the ultimate admiration for Dolph on that front. No, hey, I, if it if it paid for a nice lavish wedding and a, a nice you know honeymoon wherever they ended up going, then then by all means, uh, then God bless you, peacekeeper, because you you served a purpose. So, Chris, as we uh, as as we close this out, I'll uh, let you give a shout out to um, anything that uh, anything that you want to mention, anything that you're working on. I know you mentioned payday loans, but uh, is there anything else you want to? Uh, oh yeah, mention? just. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing really just, yeah, everyone stay away from the, the payday loan, you know, cash, check cash in places. They're no good. Uh, that's you, you don't want to get hooked up in that kind of thing. Um, you know, f- figure out another way, but yeah, other than that, nothing really to, to hype up or promote. Just, uh, I just appreciate being on this, on this episode and, and I'm a, uh, even though it's not the, one of my, my favorite movies that Dolph did, I had a, a good time talking about it and kind of, uh. Uh, reliving the experience of the peacekeeper uh 20 plus years after originally seeing it well and unfortunately um i do not have a song of any kind to close out this episode with so i will put a Mm. challenge out there to uh to anyone out there who is listening um go ahead and uh if you have an idea for what you think would have been a cool uh script idea for the late 90s to uh team Lundgren up with either Phil Donahue or Mari Povich, please go ahead and uh, and send it my way, and I will uh, I will put it out there on the Facebook page. So, <laughs> oh, that that's fantastic. I hope we hope somebody mentions Richard Bay. Do you remember Richard Bay? Remember that yes, talk show? Yes. Oh, so, wow. yeah. Okay. I I mean that's I know we're trying. I know we're wrapping things up, but people go go check out Richard Bay on. I'm sure there's stuff on YouTube. I mean, that was, that was a talk show, but okay, never mind. So, well, hey, Chris, thank you so much for coming back, man. I do appreciate it. Uh, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. <laughs>